Welcome to Welcome to the Hollowell Manor. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Season 2, Episode 21 of Charmed, Apocalypse Not, which, you know, it's it's a solid title. It's very... Oh, the title. Oh, yeah, no. As... <laughs> We've been on such a run of good episodes, and the thing is, the thing is, this feels like it should be a season finale, but it's not. Yeah, the season finale is the French Stewart Genie episode that we have next time. Woof. <laughs> I don't even know. But, like, this episode is literally about them averting the apocalypse. And, man, does it not feel, like, built up to enough. The stakes don't really feel higher than in any other episode, despite the fact that they're averting the apocalypse. I was going to say, you know, maybe they were trying to avoid comparisons with Buffy, where Buffy ends every season with them averting the apocalypse, but then... But I, I don't think it's every Buffy season. Well, no, that's what I was going to say. Maybe they thought they were Buffy season four, where they end with the apocalypse and then they have kind of a cool down episode, except Buffy's cool down episode was Restless and their cool down episode is... The French Stuart Genie episode, which, to be honest, I'm kind of looking forward to. Because it ambiguously introduces Phoebe's flying power? Or just because we've been watching a lot of Third Rock from the Sun, and it'll be weird seeing French Stuart back when he was getting a push, I guess? I just like saying the French Stuart Genie episode, if I'm completely honest. This episode was directed by Michael Zinberg, who previously did Heartbreak City. And the episode is story by Sanford Golden and teleplay by Cheryl J. Anderson. Oh, I, I usually expect better from her. I still haven't finished. Maybe I should pick up a different Cheryl J. Anderson book. It's just, I'm not sure who I'm supposed to care about in the one I'm reading right now. Oh, that's never a good sign with books. Yeah. Especially not like a murder mystery, which is what it is. Mm. So, are you ready for some really intricate, apocalyptic religious discussions? Yay! Oh, oh, are you ready to talk about fucking strife? Okay, wait, but the thing is... Wait, is this actually a thing outside of this episode of Charm? <laughs> strife is probably more accurate than plague. Really? Yes. Holy shit. Do, do we want to get into that now? No, no, we should wait until the, spoiler alert, horsemen of the apocalypse are introduced. Okay, so y'all have that to look forward to. Mm-hmm. So, we open on a very dramatic music sting as the girls return from their day off from no demons, no magic, no dudes, just... No running the bar, apparently? Yeah, apparently P3 is just self-sufficient for today. No photographing, no classes? Yeah, but they were doing, you know, lady stuff. They were going shopping, they did yoga, they had a spa day. I mean, those all sound nice to me, except... Except a spa day. I don't know. Spa days are great. I don't like strange people touching me. It's not. I've tried getting massages on multiple occasions and it's just not relaxing. Oh, I love a good massage. Mm. The weird thing about this whole scenario, though, is that they're really, really pushing in our face how close the sisters are and how much they love each other and how important they are to each other. And they're pushing this really hard because this isn't really their dynamic. Yeah, I mean... Like, it needs to be for the conflict of this episode, which, by the way, is some real bullshit, but it's not... I I buy this more later when it's Phoebe and Piper, 
not later this episode, but later in the show. Mm-hmm. Be- well, Phoebe and Piper, by that point, will have gone through losing, losing a sister. Through. Yeah. Also, I feel like, based on some other stuff, too, probably Holly Marie Combs and Alyssa Milano had better real-life friend chemistry than, say, either one of them did with Shannon Doherty. So, as I'm sure many of our listeners know, uh, Shannon Doherty and Holly Marie Combs were, like, best friends before they started filming Charmed. In fact, Shannon Doherty helped get Holly Marie Combs cast on Charmed. Oh. And Shannon Doherty had a uh, real feud going with Alyssa Milano, so I'm just, like, looking at that dynamic, and it kind of hurts me, just, like, like, here's here's some astral projection stuff where I just want to leave my body because I just feel so much the pain of this is my best friend but now she's best friends with my mortal enemy you know what you know what it makes me think of what that bowling for soup song high school never ends oh my god I haven't thought about that in forever <laughs> but yeah it's just like oh high school drama mm. I it- mean it really does never end. Like, it gets better in that you have more ability to just walk away from it if that's what you choose. But there's some high school drama going down at my work right now. And these women are, like, in their 50s. Oh, I was going to say high school does end if you manage to surround yourself with people who are, you know... I don't want to say mature because I'm not surrounded by people who are mature. But, like, people who can... Emotionally mature? People who can handle drama more or less appropriately. But, like... The thing is, some people never learn that skill, and sometimes... Or some people don't want to. Some people don't want to, and sometimes you're stuck in a situation where it's unavoidable. Like work. Like work. But putting all of that aside, right now, the important thing is that the girls are BFFs, y'all! Well, and the other important thing is that the television is showing that people all over the world are just getting into huge fights all the time. And... Prue turns it off and she's like, isn't it crazy how people can just be antagonistic like that? Isn't it weird that there are people who just go out there and needle other people and needle them and needle them and just turn them against each other? Isn't that a bizarre thing? Who would ever do that? Okay, so I thought you were going to a different place with this. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to be like, wow, this is weird. This is just like when there was that demon who came out of the movie and was making everyone fight, except surely this isn't demon related. (laughs) Also... So is the implication here that there wouldn't be, like, conflict without demons? Because that seems to be kind of what this episode is implying. Like, there are no man-made conflicts. It's all demons. I mean, whew, this is a real... Above Charmed's pay grade. Oh, I was just thinking about how in the 2000s we, uh... Or, in the year 2000. Mm. Yeah... Well, it was the end of history. Yeah, as we discussed in the uh, witch trot, not witch trial, because they were named badly. The future episode where Phoebe gets burned at the stake. Morality. Morality bites. bites with a Y. Yeah, we're at the end of history part of history where it doesn't seem like anything global is happening. So you can just kind of. Oh, and I, I want to point something out when we say that. That was the idea in America, which was a very limited viewpoint because obviously it was the end of history in America, not globally, but we were acting like it was. Yeah. I, 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 
we have some listeners who are not American. I want them to know that we're aware it was not the end of history in the rest of the world. And honestly, it wasn't really the end of history in America. That's true, too. This was very much a, you know, white, middle-class perspective thing. You know, back when the middle class existed. But <laughs> So... Yeah, the girls are all very dismissive of the fact that there are conflicts everywhere else in the world because their house is a shining beacon of sisterly love. Well, and Phoebe does this thing which is super annoying where, like, she's kind of dismissing all of these problems and like, you know what? I took this psych class and it really made me think about the big questions. So I am more evolved than other people who get into these kinds of scuffles. Oh, God. I mean... I don't, because it's a part of life, but I do feel the urge to look back on some conversations I had freshman year in college and just cringe, but it's part of life. You go through it. It's fine. I, yeah, there's no way around that. Only through it. You have to go through that phase, I think. And also, some people never get all the way through it, and that's how you get deep Facebook stuff that goes... Or yeah. anything any TikToker has ever said trying to sound deep. Okay, but... I know, that's unfair. TikTok is a wide range of people. Actually, I was going to say that's unfair because most of those people are 20 years old and going through that stage. And Mm. we shouldn't dismiss the fact that they're on their way out of it. Oh my god, did you see that thing with that couple on TikTok that were talking about how they were, like, how their love was so deep, blah blah blah, and uh, (laughs) you don't see it coming. It turns out that they went to a spiritualist And the reason that their love was so deep is because they are a reincarnated Irish lesbian couple, interracial Irish lesbian couple, who were burned at the stake for their love. And they got reincarnated as, like, two white 20-something-year-old heterosexual people. Well, now I'm just that gif of uh, Adam Scott saying, I don't even have time to tell you how wrong that is. It's going to bother me if I don't. You need to understand about TikTok, Max. Because you're not on TikTok, mm-hmm. you only see the stuff that's so cringeworthy and wild that it escapes the TikTok environment. Like, it breaks TikTok orbit. But the thing about TikTok is it has a genius algorithm. Like, its algorithm is so good. That's why you got that, I think it was a reductress headline... That was a uh, woman wondering why her TikTok feed is nothing but lesbians about to find out. <laughs> like, TikTok knows who you are before you do sometimes. And so I don't see any of this wild stuff when I'm on TikTok. I just see a bunch of either hot witchy lesbians or hot cosplay lesbians or hot D&D lesbians. That's that's what my TikTok for you page is, and it's glorious, and I love it. Okay, I I I enjoy the things you send me from TikTok sometimes, but it's something I feel like I'm too old for. I am nine years older than you. I know, but I just I look at that screen and I'm like, nope, can't do it, can't do it. Uh, so so phoebe's picked up a book of um big questions dinner party makes you things no and seriously though we're mocking this book but i did actually think about going on amazon to look for a book like this because it seemed like it would be fun 
when you're in that philosophical drunk stage of a party to like pass it around and let people make notes in it. I mean, this is the sort of stuff, not exactly this sort of thing, but you know, right after college when I was hanging out with my friends, when we were at like the penguin bar or whatever, we, you know, we'd do this sort of thing, except our, ours were always questions like, uh, how many freeze dried wolves do you think you could fit in your apartment? Do I have access to anything to like compress them? Like, no, no, they have they're they're full size freeze dried wolves. You can stack them any way you want. But... Were they freeze dried in motion or were they like curled up asleep? Uh no, they're standing. Okay, but they're standing. They're not like. They're not like puffed out or anything. They're... Okay, okay. Or would you rather bleed birds or snakes? Like if you were cut, would birds? you rather have birds or snakes? No question. Definitely birds. I kind of want to bleed birds instead of blood. That sounds awesome. <laughs> so Phoebe has a... A book that's basically Trolley Problem, the book. Yeah, which she uh, suggests would maybe be fun for, like, bar trivia, which, yeah, at, at P3. By the way, Phoebe's pants have a lot going on. They're, like, cutoffs that have leggings kind of sewn into them. Okay, I totally rocked that in the year 2000. Yeah, I'm... I'm not saying it's bad, just it's notable. Yes. The first question she reads out loud is, would you rather save five strangers from a burning building or one sister? And they're all like, sister, obviously, lol, sisters! Which is just so not their dynamic normally, but fine. Okay, Jan. So the doorbell rings, and it is Leo, who has come to the door because of last week when he orbed in on uh phoebe and it got really awkward uh continuity okay so leo's plotline this episode is that he's jealous of how close the sisters are <laughs> which is so sad for him come on dude okay it made me like angry at him i was like oh is this the first episode where i started to really be annoyed with leo because he's all jealous that piper's got more time for her sisters than for him which I guess it makes sense because since he's a white lighter, they can't do the plot that, oh, she spends more time fighting demons than hanging out with me. So it's got to be about the sisters. As someone who does a Charmed podcast with you, I can tell you that this is not the first time you've been super annoyed with Leo. No, no, no. But I think some of my previous annoyance with Leo was bleeding over from knowing how annoying he's going to be without it actually being his fault. So I'm wondering if watching it through the first time, this is the first time I was like, God damn it, Leo. I mean, I feel like Leo's more of kind of a sad sack later on than someone. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he is. I, I don't know why. It's sad sacks make me really angry. I mean, like, I don't like, uh, say, Charles Boyle from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Is he a or sad sack? He is. And you know who's the ultimate sad sack? Who? Ross from Friends. Yeah. I feel like the sad sack and the nice guy TM have a lot in common. Mm. Except we know Leo's not a nice guy TM. I mean, he is a nice guy in that he's a literal angel who (laughs) was resurrected from the dead due to goodness of self. But he's not like a nice guy, nice guy. He's like... No, that's true. Yeah, he he doesn't have the nice guy TM qualities where he just hangs around and waits for you to want to have sex with him and then gets mad when you don't even though you've shown no interest yeah he just has sex with you and then orbs away also i feel like part of the thing with the nice guy tm is that they're not actually nice it's just 
they say that they are. Like, and Leo's, it's a real informed attribute. Leo's fine with emotional stuff. He's better when he's not dealing with, you know, his girlfriend and his girlfriend's sisters. But that's really the only context we ever see him in. So, I mean, I've got bad news for this guy. Dealing with his girlfriend and his girlfriend's sisters is literally his job. This is why, like, this is... Why white lighters shouldn't date their charges? I, they really shouldn't. And also there should be, like, a white lighter HR because this is a nightmare. Well, remember, when Leo was first introduced, when we first discovered he was a white lighter, he tells Phoebe that white lighters are supposed to be undercover, witches aren't supposed to be aware of them, which does seem like the better system, but also is not something we ever see with, even with other witches and their white lighters, or even hell with Leo and his other charges. But, whatever. Piper's like, look, I love my sisters, but I can't have sex with them, so shut up, stop being jealous. Well, okay, I know I just complained about Leo, like, literally seconds ago, Mm -hmm. but then they go out on a date, we don't see the date, but we see Piper afterwards talking about how much Prue and Phoebe would have liked the restaurant. And it's like, and apparently that's what she talked about all through dinner, was how much she'd rather be with her sisters than him. Jesus Christ. So, like, not to, not to be on his side, but goddamn Piper. So, speaking of goddamn Piper, Piper stops at, I suppose, a stop sign? Yeah. To have a conversation with Leo? Does she not know how stop signs work? You don't stop at them forever. I don't blame the guy. The guy behind them's honking, and they're like, okay, let's ignore him and have this entire ass conversation. Oh we'll stop at a st- What's his problem? Yeah, yeah. And then he pulls around them, and they're like, geez, what's wrong with that guy? You know what's wrong with him? You sat at a stop sign for, like, five minutes to talk about how Piper is cucking Leo for her sister's. Anyway, the guy is so angry when he goes around them that he ends up hitting a watermelon truck, which is just some classic uh, hijinks. That's that's some classic television hijinks. And the watermelon man jumps out of the truck and just starts wailing on him. And then a guy stops a different car and gets out of that and starts wailing on the watermelon guy. And Leo's like, that's weird. It's weird, right? That's weird. And Piper's like, eh. It It makes sense to Piper. That's what she would do in that situation. I I feel like with some different music, this is just like a comedy bit. Especially with the watermelon truck. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I know it's a staple of action movies or whatever, but... Oh yeah, I guess it could... It's weird how much just different staging can change it. Especially when the one guy throws a watermelon at Piper's car. Like, what? I do love the fight choreography because there clearly isn't really any, so it's just people angrily pushing each other, which, to be fair, is kind of what fighting looks like in real life. Like that Crazy Ex-Girlfriend song. Yeah, real life fights are not dramatic. So, the guy who threw the watermelon at Piper's car, when she gets out of the car, he goes to throw a watermelon directly at her, and she freezes it because... Duh. We keep cutting significantly to a man dressed in all black with a green tie taking notes... And when Piper freezes the crowd, he is not frozen. And he sees her standing there, like, still moving, and he's still moving, and he's like, oh, shit, and he takes off. Whoops. Okay, about the tie, which I feel like is more of, like, a, a teal than a green. Mm. It's like a blue-green. But the tie bothers me a lot. Because well, they should all be color-coded, right? Because all- the four 
horsemen are color-coded. Why are the ties not color-coded properly? I mean... His tie should be white. Is he... Strife. Okay. It would make sense if he was pestilence, though. Like, if... Strife and pestilence are the same. And I, as we will discuss when I get into it. Mm. So, by the way, this guy looks enough like Steven Weber, so I thought it might be Steven Weber, but apparently it's not. It is not. So he effing books it. Like, he just starts running, and Piper's like, oh, I need to chase after him. And Leo's like, no, because you don't know who he is. You don't have a finishing move yet. And, like, what what are you going to do? I'm sorry. All of their running is so funny. Holly Ray Combs is not wearing good shoes for run- Actually, nobody here is wearing good shoes for running, so it looks really awkward for all of them. Well, again, like you said about the fight choreography, it looks the way running actually looks, all awkward and stuff. Speaking of friends, when Phoebe from uh, Friends was jogging and she was running all crazy frog-like, because that's how you run when you're, you know. Yeah. So I, I want to tell a story about when I worked in a video store. Mm-hmm. We had, like, a rash of shoplifting in this video store, and... The, I was working the register and this guy came through and as he was going through the little scanner, you know, at the door, it starts beeping. And I was like, hey, can you wait a second? And he took off running. And so I started chasing him. Like I just left the register and started chasing him. And I wouldn't have if he hadn't started running, but he was running. So like my instincts just kicked in and uh, he got away. But my manager afterwards was like, what would you have done if you had caught up to him? And I'm like, I have no idea. I don't know. Throw him into traffic. It's a car's problem now. Well, so I never caught up with him. And I do not know if like the horseman here, he he cast the D&D spell Mount and took off on a horse. I really like this effect. Like I, I have to imagine it's something that's relatively easy to do. Like it's... I don't know, jump cut, yeah, but not. It, yeah, it is. But I, I I, like it too. And also he goes from wearing a tie to wearing a teal colored cloak, which I love. But like he jumps and then in midair a horse kind of zoops under him. I don't, it's nice. And also I feel like the guy got a lot of it. Like it didn't seem like wire assisted or anything. It just seemed like the guy naturally could jump pretty high. He just got a lot of air. Yeah, because I was like, that's pretty impressive and it doesn't look like, say, that really awkward jump Chiana did in Farscape. (laughs) Where they're like, look, she's a cat person, so we're gonna do this one scene where she jumps in weird slow motion real high to see John, and it's super awkward and I'm assuming never happens ever again on Farscape. Yes, that's correct. So... He also disappears on on his horse, and Leo and Piper come around the corner just too late to see that happen, so they just see him vanish, which is a shame, because if they'd seen him on a horse, it might help them figure out who he is, but we know who he is because we see him transport to a field with three other guys on horses. Now- it's The four horsemen, y'all. Yes. Now, when Piper first started chasing him, Leo very significantly said that, you know, don't chase him, you don't know what he is, you don't know- what you need to do to handle this situation. Dude, you're back up, okay? A white lighter's job is to back up. Which... She is the charmed one of three, but come on. Okay, fair, but also, I don't know how much significance this has in the rest of the show, but... Is having 
a proper vanquishing potion that i mean vital or spell i mean it probably i i would assume it is but like i'd imagine that there have to be some just generic vanquishes that would work generically i mean not on one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse i'd think yeah but i mean he could just be a, ma- a minor mischief demon or whatever which is what they initially think yeah i mean I have to assume that not every demon needs a specific vanquishing spell, right? Here here are the facts as they are. Mm-hmm. This guy does not respond to Piper's ability to freeze. Mm-hmm. And Leo is making the assumption that outside of her ability that's granted to her, like outside of the ability that was given to her to be able to freeze people, she has no skills or abilities. And that's just insulting. Eh, I mean... I mean, it might be accurate. But it's insulting. I, 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 I'm kind of on Leo's side here because what was the game plan, Piper? Honestly, if it was Phoebe... I was just going to say, if it was Phoebe, we could assume she would cast a generic vanquish. Yeah. Or come up with one on the fly because that's what she does. Yeah. Honestly, if it's Piper or Prue, I kind of don't have... Well, Prue could just, like, use her powers to knock down all those boxes that are ubiquitous in alleyways and, like, crush him. I mean, I guess we've kind of seen Prue finish off demons by throwing stuff into them sometimes. Well, I mean, she could at least hold him. Assuming her power worked on him. I mean, if... Well, but see, Prue doesn't need her power to work on the demon because she can use it on the boxes. Mm. That's that's the convenient thing about Prue's power. She doesn't have to throw him into the dumpster. She can throw the dumpster onto him. And would she just keep doing that until she called Phoebe and Piper and they <laughs> drove over? Well, in this scenario, let's assume Leo's with her and Leo just orbs away and gets the other sisters and they orb back. Phoebe can write the vanquish on the way. <laughs> I'm just saying, I get why Leo's like, what's the plan here, Piper? I guess. So we cut from that to the special singing guest star. Uh, it's, it's the Where Have All the Cowboys Gone Lady. It is. Yeah, and she does a song from after Where the Cowboy, uh, Where Have All the Cowboys Gone? She had like, uh, she formed her own band, the Paula Cole Band. She's Paula Cole. Oh yeah, when we were watching this, because I'm not, um, I'm not a big music person, mm-hmm. and you were like, oh, it's the Paula Cole Band, and I assume you meant the band she performed with, but it's actually called the Paula Cole Band. Yeah, because they're the band she performs with. It's like uh, all of the people in Bon Jovi who aren't John Bon Jovi. (laughs) Anyway, she's singing a real 2000s song, which is fair because it's the 2000s. She wants to prove that she's more than just where have all the cowboys gone. Is she? No. I I love that this was significant enough for it to be prominently on her Wikipedia page. Yeah, her appearance on Charmed. Yeah. She's not the first musical act I've seen where their Wikipedia page prominently has their uh, appearance on Charmed listed. This is a thing I, I believe I've mentioned it on this or other podcasts before, but a thing I really enjoy doing is watching when there's a performance in like a, this or a Buffy-esque show, or really any show that has a club scene, 
watching the extras try to dance because it's always awkward and bad. It's a lot of fun. Well, it's because there's no music. Yeah, it's because there's no music for them. And also, there's this great one, and I think it's Legends of Tomorrow, which I need to watch more of, I know. I stopped watching it when it was still in the bad first season. But there's a bit where they're in this, like, post-apocalyptic future, and there's, like, this underground base, and they're having a rave, and everyone's kind of really awkwardly just waving their little plastic weapons in the air and kind of half-moving to music so that White Canary and whoever can have a conversation. And there's just... It's so awkward looking. It's just... <laughs> well, you know, we just watched uh, Dairy Girls. Yes. And that scene at the... the and wedding? that scene... No, no, no. Uh, in, the, in the last episode of the first season where Orla does her step aerobics routine... Yeah. ...to the song Pray... Mm-hmm. ...was originally to Madonna's Like a Prayer, but probably for rights reasons. They probably couldn't pay for the rights in america they swapped it out for the song pray mm-hmm. and it works there because it's supposed to be an awkward song it like doesn't matter <laughs> she's she's supposed to be doing an awkward little dance <laughs> uh dairy girls is fun by the way just putting that yes everybody prior to this moment in time who told me to watch dairy girls was correct it's a great show yes so uh phoebe and Prue are jamming out to the Paula Cole band when, uh-oh, it's big old wet cloud Leo. Or wet blanket? Wet blanket. What, whatever. He's here to rain on their parade and or be thrown over them. Yeah, you throw a wet blanket over a fire to smother it. Ah. Yeah. I guess you would also ruin a party by throwing a wet blanket over it. I guess it depends on what type of party it is. <laughs> I feel like you can ruin a lot of things by throwing wet blankets on top of them. It's like steaks, right? Staking someone through the heart kills a lot of things. Yeah, exactly. So. So the girls decide they have to go back to the manor to check the Book of Shadows and find out what this guy was who was causing all of this discontent. I mean, I guess it makes sense that he's, uh, that this would be a Book of Shadows thing, that they would need more than a generic vanquish. If he was freeze-resistant, that probably means a power of three thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, it probably does. I mean, if he can resist the freeze, that's some pretty high-level power. We have seen very few demons who can resist it. And he didn't shake it off the way we've seen some demons do. He actively just didn't Didn't... even notice it. Didn't even realize it was happening until he saw everyone around him was frozen. So he's explaining what happened to his buddies. Who are all, by the way, they're all like Wall Street bros. And I kind of like this rendition of the Four Horsemen as just Wall Street bros. And the idea is that the source of all evil... By the way, first mention? First mention of the source of all evil? No, Rex and Hannah... Rex and Hannah mentioned having a boss. This might be his first mention by name. I can't really swear to that. But it has come up that the demons work for something a lot of the mythology around the source that gets introduced in this episode straight up does not matter later (laughs) that's true that's true which is a shame because no i really like the source as an evil ceo and like the really annoying wall street bros as the people that he imbues with powers in order to be the horseman i guess at this point that was still kind of right I, i feel like the big thing which is one of the things that's kind of making me eh, about watching loki 
although I will get around to it at some point, is that the whole mystical thing as a bureaucracy has been pretty run into the ground. Yeah. Like, hell as a corporation isn't even a new concept at this point. I I know, but, like, it doesn't need to be new. It's Yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it's a solid thing. I'm, I just mean it happens a lot. I, I'm just saying, as long as capitalism continues to show how evil it is, it makes sense that we would portray evil as capitalism. Speaking of portrayals of evil, Brian Thompson is one of the horsemen. He is war, specifically. Uh, you probably know Brian Thompson from being the villain in everything. I do like Brian Thompson a lot. He is basically the guy you would go to if you needed a big, evil-sounding dude. A demon in human form. He is in, uh, I I know I should be saving this for premonitions, but he's literally, like, the first heavy in Buffy. He's the big bad of the pilot of Buffy. Yes, yes. He's the one that, uh, he's the one that Buffy wipes out with the, there's one thing you forgot about, sunrise, right? Yeah, <laughs> yes. It's in about eight hours. <laughs> but, you know Brian Thompson from stuff. I'm really surprised it took him, it took Charmed this long to get to him. Yeah, we're almost done with season two. Oh, wait, it didn't. Hold on. Wait, was he in an earlier episode? Yeah, we have to, we have to... Hold on, I, this is some real, like, premonition, whatever, but I think he, he was in another episode. Okay, I'm going to talk about him a little more while you're looking that up. So, he was, like, he was in the Mortal Kombat movie, he was in a Sylvester Stallone movie, he's the bad guy in a lot of stuff, and honestly, I really wish they had used him for the source. They they kind of... I am never going to wish Cole away. That's just not happening. No, I mean, the original source. Oh, oh, yeah. Instead of the stupid half-beard guy. Because, honestly, okay, so we see the source at one point before the source is, like, a reoccurring guy. I, I honestly thought it was in this episode, but... It's not where he's, like, this cloaked figure that has, like, this giant halo around him. Mm -hmm. And he looks really cool there. But then they never use that again, and he's just some guy with face tattoos and a weird half-beard. And I'm like, you should have used Brian Thompson for that. At least he looks intimidating. I feel like I could beat up the guy that they got to play the source who's just the half-beard guy. Yeah. Oh, so... This is his first appearance on Charmed, but he's going to come back again as a different demon. Oh, that makes sense. And, by the way, on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, he was Luke from the first episode. The first anointed one. Oh, yeah, I guess he is, isn't he? He's also the judge. Oh, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. I'm assuming he's a massive man in real life because he always gets cast in these roles. Well, as long as I'm on his Wikipedia page. Yeah. What? How tall... Oh, six foot three. That's not huge. Although he he is built like a linebacker. Yeah. Plus he's he's got that great voice. He's got that. I, I can't do it. But he's got that like <laughs> deep, intimidating voice. Like, there's a reason. I there's a reason he always gets cast as this guy. I also think it's interesting that in this 
quartet, I know I should save this for when it comes up, but in this quartet, the heavy of the four horsemen is war and not death. Yes, that is rarely the case, but it had to be here the case because usually when people do stories about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, death is kind of separated off from the other three because the other three can be seen as in some way made or facilitated by man. Yes. Whereas death is just the ultimate truth, right? Yes. And so if there is a source who's imbuing them with powers, then that's that's kind of death's jam, but they've taken that away by creating the source. Yeah, so I guess it makes sense that war is kind of the big one here. So we cut from... Wait, can I talk about Revelation now? Yes, yes. Okay. Also, we're not supposed to know they're the horsemen yet, even though, come on. It's obvious they're the... We, we they're... saw the four of them on horses. I think we, the audience, are supposed to realize they're the horsemen. Hmm. I feel like it's played still played like a reveal later, but... Yeah. Eh. So, the four horsemen of the apocalypse in modern culture mm-hmm. are generally portrayed as death, pestilence, war... And famine. Mm-hmm. But in Revelation, only death is actually named. Okay, so here is the passage for pestilence. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, Come. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So that's the passage that has traditionally been interpreted as pestilence as plague really yes wait i thought death was the one on the pale horse pestilence rides a white horse death rides a pale horse oh yeah that's why they didn't really color code the ties (laughs) i mean that's that's the real reason um but he's been interpreted as a lot of things plague is just the most recent and honestly i feel like he's plague by default I mean, pestilence is a fun word. No, I, I feel like he's pestilence by default. Because the second horseman is, when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. So that one's clearly war. Mm-hmm. Like, that one's clearly war. So the first one, it's like, well, so he's what? And some people have interpreted, okay, well, he's like, War that conquers, and the red horse is like civil war. So what I'm saying is, the fact that in this show he's strife, not not necessarily a bad interpretation. Mm. And then just for the record, when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a Daenerys, and three quarts of barley for a Daenerys, but do not damage the oil and the wine. Which everyone knows that passage because it's the passage that Famine uses to sign his books in Good Omens. Mm. And... I was going to say, the Bible probably could have used an editor. <laughs> this is... <laughs> um, God was the editor, Max! <laughs> Anyway, this is generally interpreted as famine because that's a lot of money to pay for Hmm. wheat. Although, some interpretations have it as, like, Jeff Bezos because the the food is so expensive 
uh, but do not damage the oil and the wine. It's like some, it's like wealth disparity. And then, of course, the last passage is, When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. I I like the translation that uses hell instead of Hades. So so that translation is, uh, and it was Death and Hell rode with him, but, yeah, whatever. I just... It doesn't really flow, right? Like It's translated. Yeah, I mean, I guess it probably sounds better in Sumerian or whatever. Or Greek? I mean... Revelation is in Greek? Is it? Isn't it? I mean, I, I'm sure at some point it was, but that that's that can't possibly be the original tongue, right? I don't know why I assume Sumerian. That's dumb. That, that wouldn't have been Sumerian, but... Like yeah, we... Greek. It was originally written in Greek. Seriously? Yeah. That's weird. Huh. Okay. Wait, the Bible wasn't originally written in Greek, was it? was it? written in several languages. Oh. Greek is one of them. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense, but... Charmed! I mean, I guess we're not super off-topic by we're talking We're not off-topic about... at all. This is background knowledge. The listeners need to know that when they watched this episode and went, wait, wait, wait... I learned from Neil Gaiman that that guy is... Pollution. Well, at least in Good Omens, Pestilence left and Pollution took over. Which, Pestilence cut out too soon. Well, they actually say that in Good Omens. They say that Pestilence took off um, in, like, the mid-20th century. And there's a comment there that, like, if he had stuck around, he would have realized that it was his, his time was coming. Which was... A dark thing to write in Good Omens, and even darker in retrospect. Hmm. So, the sisters are flipping through the Book of Shadows, trying to find the guys, you know, the four horsemen, who are now all informed that there is at least one powerful witch after them. Okay, but what could they possibly be looking for, you know? Like... The sisters? Yeah, the sisters. Yeah, because you have to imagine, I, I do like that the two scenes are kind of contrasted against each other, where the horsemen are trying to figure out, you know, oh, what's the deal with this freezing witch who interfered with me causing chaos in San Francisco, which I feel like does kind of narrow it down a lot. I know, right? Because we Wow, know, we, we know that the Nexus is here in San Francisco, right? We know that the Warren Line is in San Francisco guarding the Nexus, Hmm, and we know that the Charmed Ones are currently active. And, like, every demon doesn't need to know that the Charmed Ones are there. We don't need to impute that knowledge to every single demon, but the source should probably have some idea. Whereas the sisters have what? A guy who we weren't able to freeze seemed to be taking notes about the fight. Yeah, they assume that it's the demon of anarchy, high enough level sort of his jam and leo's like that really seems like you're not like the i i think you need more information before just going ahead and trying this specific vanquishing spell because you really don't have enough information about this guy and if he's an upper level demon then you need to know more before you you know go after him i just leo is right leo is correct they are wrong about which demon it is, and casting the wrong spell is going to have negative consequences. But, like, 
Can he get off their ass? They are the charmed ones. Let them do their job. That's exactly what Phoebe says. Phoebe's like, yeah, Leo, we know you're a white lighter or whatever, but come on, we're the charmed ones. We've been doing this for what, like almost 16 two months? Years. Yeah. We've been doing this for almost two years. We got this down pat. Leo. Pfft. Leo. And Leo's like, you know what? I'm just going to drop this, uh, not drop. I'm going to gently place this tray of, you know, tea down for you. And then just going to be here to pick up the pieces when it all falls to shit. Speaking of it all falling to shit, Daryl is at a very busy police station. And he calls Prue and he's like, okay, so it's feeling kind of demony in here. Like, just, just letting you know. Remember, you know, when there were all those movie theater riots because of... How come nobody brings up the movie theater riots from, like, literally two episodes ago? What? What? Did someone cast a memory charm on the entire city? So, he he says, like, I know, I know, I don't want to know, I don't want to know, but also I do want to, I want to know what I should be prepared for here. What should I be preparing for in this situation? And they're like, oh, we wanted more information from you because we do not know. Also, Prue's, Prue's doing this weird, like, lots of little... I want to say ponytails, but I guess they're pigtails. She was doing this lots of little pigtails with her hair thing. I do like that she took the time to change into a different outfit because she was wearing this kind of black skirt with white patches, and now she's wearing a different outfit. I like her ja- her new jacket, too. She's got her this... Her kimono? Her open kimono? Yeah, she, she has put on an open kimono to go out into the streets to see the chaos. So I've been reading this newsletter... Uh, it's been going on for a while, like about a year now, mm-hmm. called Gilmore Women. Yes. And it's, as you could guess, it's two women going through episodes of Gilmore Girls and dissecting them and talking about all the issues with Gilmore Girls. Yes. And w- one of the things they talk about is the fashions and the weirdly appropriative <laughs> eastern thing that we had going on in the early 2000s that was definitely a thing so hey look it's portland according to fox news yep city's on fire this basically the girls asked daryl to tell them where the worst strife is happening yeah and uh you know, up! Oh, it's a riot. It's a riot. Cars are on fire. People are hitting cars with bats. People are jumping on cars. There's a lot of car stuff going on. Yeah. I always wonder about, like, is there just a place that rents cars for movies to, like, blow up or flip over or hit with bats? Oh, yeah. I'm sure there is. There must be. Because that has to be super expensive, right? I... Well, I'm sure there's a place that, that gets junk cars that cleans them up just enough that they look realistic when they blow them up or flip them yeah yeah so they they are scouting this general area for you know the strife guy the demon of anarchy as they think and they see him they chase him into a back alley where uh uh-oh his buddies are waiting to jump them i love how brian thompson because prue tries to you know telekinetically shove brian thompson since he's you know a brick shit house and he's like haha nope and he just grabs her by the throat and pulls her in Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Phoebe and uh, Piper around the corner, he's like, hey, if you try anything, I'll snap her neck. And they're like, quick, the vanquishing <laughs> spell. 
I, yeah, yeah. They cast the vanquishing spell, even though it's clearly not the demon of anarchy because there's He's three got other dudes. Everyone knows anarchy doesn't have any friends. <laughs> the demon of anarchy sucks. He never gets invited to the good demon parties. Yeah, that's because he never brings anything to the potlucks. And he's always like, I'm sorry, you can't impose rules on me. And they're like, anarchy, it's just rules of human decency. And he's all like, well, whatever. I'm just going to eat, like, more than my share, even though I brought nothing, and then take off. You can't tie me down. And then, like, the girl he's dating is like, I'm so sorry, guys. And then she goes after him, and you're like, oh, my poor girl. Poor Sharon. So, (laughs) as the Charmed Ones... What is Sharon the demon of? She's not. She's just the demon of Anarchy's girlfriend. <laughs> is that like her title? Is it like how Metatron is the voice of God? She's the demon of Anarchy's girlfriend? No, it's just that she's a college sophomore, so she doesn't know any better, and she's dating him, and when she's old enough to know better, she'll dump him, and he'll start dating some other college sophomore. That's what he does. Uh, of course, because he only dates young women. <laughs> yes, and as we know, guys who only date young women, it's usually because older women can see through their bullshit. Just like the Demon of Anarchy. So as the Charmed Ones are reciting their Demon of Anarchy vanquishing spell, the Horsemen of the Apocalypse start uh, reciting a witch vanquishing spell, which, Brian Thompson, you do have Prue by the throat. You could just do what you said you were going to do and snap her neck. But then he wouldn't have a hostage. So what? Well, they're vanquishing him even with... Oh, are you thinking that they wouldn't be able to cast the Vanquish if Prue was dead? I'm just saying, if his dudes, if his dudes are reading the van- their witch vanquishing spell, like to take care of presumably the witches that he's not capable of immediately neck snapping. Although, honest to God, I feel like he could snap Prue's neck, walk over there, and snap their necks before they finish their spell. Yeah, he might probably. as well just take Prue out of the running right off the bat. Well, as we know, he's he's new to being war. The uh, the source just assigned him. Assigned him. So yeah. So it's th- my first day. <laughs> God. So the two spells collide in midair. They blow up Prue and War, and the other horsemen are like, "Oh no!" And they voip out, <laughs> leaving Phoebe and Piper like. Well, Well, that happened. That didn't go according to plan. I love how Piper basically immediately assumes that Prue's dead. And Phoebe's like, no, I mean, she she disappeared, but she's probably not dead. We've still got one more episode this season, right? Phoebe's like, I'm pretty sure we can get her back. We're the charmed ones. So we go to uh, Hell Incorporated, the the corporate offices of Hell. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's actually a, a big portrait of the Horsemen of the Apocalypse, just in case you uh, you didn't know yet what we were dealing with. I'm kind of disappointed we don't get more of this later. A lot of Hell later is just like... An well, uh, one underground cave set? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the underworld, which might be different from whatever this is, but... Eh. So, the guy points out, the, the, the green tie points out, like... Okay, well, obviously War's not actually dead because we were anointed by the source himself and only he can kill us, as you know, Bob. (laughs) 
and the other two are like, nope, he's gone. And without him, the whole thing falls apart. Without war, the apocalypse can't possibly happen. We might as well just get drunk and eat ice cream naked on the floor while watching reruns of The Nanny. Strife is like, I'm not giving up. We have to do this. And Death is like, are you looking for a fight? And Strife's like, that's my name. Don't wear it out. God. Oh, my God. Ugh. Anyway, yeah, Strife's really, really focused on bringing back war. And Death and... Death and Famine don't seem to really care. You know, Famine gets nothing to do. Poor Famine. He's like this weedy little guy. But I I like how they immediately give up, even though it seems like, come on, they're on the way anyway. I don't love this, like, because... Because we, we cut to their screens full of, you know, their work happening in the world. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, a woman. And it all feels like it's news footage that they pulled and not, you know. Yeah. Cause, this seems like real footage. And there's there's one of the shots is uh, a cop pepper spraying, like, a group of protesters. It's, uh, yeah, this. Well, I'm, I'm with you. I feel like. Charmed does not have the gravitas necessary for them to be using this kind of very real, very heavy subject matter. Also, the implication that the only reason bad things are happening in the world are because of, you know, demonic influence. It's It's like in the cartoon Anastasia, when the reason for the Russian Revolution was because Rasputin sent out sent out waves of feeling bad that caused all of the previously happy peasants to rise up against the uh, the benevolent the Romanovs. Romanovs. Yeah, yeah, that movie's a, <laughs> movie's got a lot going on historically. There, just ooh. yep. There, there's also a picture of a of a woman holding up a. Uh, a pic like there, there's a video of a woman holding up a picture of what i can only assume is her missing son in a war zone and i'm like yeah that's really not something you should be bringing into this charmed like i know this was the stuff you could get for free because it's in the public domain or whatever but like this footage i'm like maybe don't do that in your stupid witch show also a lot of stuff that you're holding up is like not not that but a lot of other stuff that they're showing are videos of protests and i'm very uncomfortable with protests being represented as the evil in humanity Mm. which is what is we're supposed to be looking at so we get we get a timer the apocalypse is gonna happen in three hours dun 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 really really not built up to enough well that's the thing right this show doesn't do things like this this show doesn't put a literal ticking clock on the screen this is a real screenwriting crutch they were like oh shoot we need to establish that the apocalypse is happening uh i don't know just say just write on the screen the apocalypse is happening in three hours and then we'll move on and i'll fill that page in with dialogue later yeah it's unnecessary like you literally can just have one of the guys be like you know we need which they do they talk about needing him back before whenever because without him then it will all be for naught so eh, eh. i do like how they how piper and 
Phoebe, by the way, not a lot of Prue in this episode. Keep yeah, that in mind. it's weird, right? It's weird how, and I know it's not a season finale, even though it really feels like it should be, but it's weird how in this very important feeling episode, Shannon Doherty's basically gone for most of it. Well, okay, this might not be what you are implying, because Shannon Doherty, spoiler alert, directs the next episode. So she might have been doing, like, second unit stuff to get that episode ready. Okay. Yeah, it might have been one of those things, like, when Holly Marie comes and needs surgery or whatever, and she just conspicuously wasn't in most of an episode. So... They're in the attic, they're looking in the Book of Shadows to see if there's, like, a witch recovery spell, and Prue's essence forms a weird little orby thing, and it flies through Piper. Okay, honestly, this feels like more screenwriting cheating, right? They were like, shoot, how do we get the information to the girls? Oh, uh, what if we just had Prue's spirit show up, because she's in another plane, and so we just... We just tinkerbelled that shit. So, Phoebe's like, wait, if she's in the wind, if she's a spirit, doesn't that mean she's, like, a ghost and therefore dead? And Piper's like, no, it didn't feel like ghost wind, which, remember, I fucked that ghost that one time, so I know what ghost wind feels like. did fuck that ghost. It feels more like, remember when Abraxas was on that other plane? And Phoebe's like, I remember Abraxas being on another plane, but I don't really remember him influencing, but you know what, fine. And... Phoebe's like, Prue, if you're, if you're in, you know, this area, if your spirit is here with us, why don't you communicate, you know, to us using the spirit board, (laughs) which, hey, spirit board. I think this might be the last time we actually see them use that spirit board, by the way. So the little blobby energy thing flies onto the spirit board you know how we were praising the special effects before and it it a little a little still image of shannon doherty shimmers across the little blobby spirit orb and then a blobby red orb flies into the room and an image of brian a still image of brian thompson shimmers around it and then it chases the Prue blob around the room, and then they both fly out a window. It see it. It feels like something that a YouTube reviewer would do on After Effects in like 2010. So they're like, "That was weird. Let's go back to the book and look for a spell to retrieve a lost witch." <laughs> okay. Meanwhile, back at Evil Central, the three remaining horsemen of the apocalypse are yelling at Evil Gunther, Evil Jacked Gunther from Central Perk. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're trying to figure out where war is, and they see missiles going off. They're like, it's war! He's changing the screens to show war to let us know that war is still around! Thank you. And... They're like, don't worry, we'll kill those Hallowell sisters. And War from the TV is like, no, you must work with them. Well, it's because we all read Neil Gaiman's Good Omens. So the plot that Good and Evil both want the war to happen, so you have to work together, is happening. 
Well, he he's not saying it. Oh yeah, sorry. He 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 switches the channels on the TV so that those are the things that they hear from the TV. I really I do I do like that. It was the thing with honestly the most enjoyable thing I think in the first Transformers movie mm-hmm. where Bumblebee can't talk, so he just needs to use uh, clips that he plays from the radio to communicate. I didn't watch any Transformers movie, but that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So. They're like, oh, fine, we'll, we'll look up the witches and we'll work with them to get you back because they want their sister back more than they want to avert the apocalypse. Oh, wow. They're going to choose their sister over strangers. I feel like, I feel like that sounds familiar. I like how they only had time, how they only established one question that they were going to go through. You know. Yeah, yeah. They didn't look at any of the. There's a whole book of questions, but they got interrupted before they could look at the second one. So. <laughs> so in the prettiest room in the mansion, the sunroom. Yes. Uh, I guess it's ironic because they're despairing over not being able to find uh, Prue. You know, any yeah. spell to find Prue, which I feel like there are a lot of spells in the Book of Shadows. Well, I think if you did the spell to call a lost witch at this point, you would just call that blob back, <laughs> and you wouldn't like actually get her rephased. forget Paige. let's just have the blob as the third sister after Prue dies oh my god do you think that at charmed writers hq that was ever floated as a possibility when they lost shannon doherty i mean i feel like recasting her was it and it's a magic show so it wouldn't be the most awkward thing. I mean, it's what they do in the comics since they can't use Shannon Doherty's likeness rights. Yeah, I mean, you could have just had her spirit possess another girl, or you could have had her, you know, Leo's healing went wrong and it messed up her face. And then she just wears, like, invisible man bandages on her face for the whole rest of the show. You oh. cast somebody who sounds like Shannon Doherty and you just have her have a bandaged face. I meant to explain why there was a different actress. I know, I know. But... I'm just I'm just visualizing the most ridiculous things. Yeah, you could have just had, uh, oh no, when Shaxx blew Prue through that wall, he permanently damaged her face and vocal cords. So we're just going to have her with a covered up face and she can't talk anymore for the rest of the show. Oh no, Prue was transformed into a puppet. <laughs> oh my god. I would have loved that. Just a little puppet Prue. Uh, I guess that would still be a likeness rights thing. I, I mean, I guess it didn't need to be a Shannon Doherty puppet. It could have been like Howdy Doody. <laughs> hey kids, let's fight evil. She could have been a lamp. She could have just been carrying around She a... could have literally been a sexy lamp. Yeah, oh no, Prue's spirit went to this lamp. And you know, when the two of them are the two of them are reading a power of three spell, they're turning it on and off, so it's Morris coding the spell with them. I'm sure the lamp can turn itself on and off. It's possessed by one of the charmed ones. God. Anyway. I, I feel like we should I mean, our listeners know they live in the world. It's just very hot. Yeah, and we're recording with nothing on. It's like 106 (laughs) degrees right now. I feel like this might be affecting our... uh... I swear to God, we're not drunk. No, just very hot. So anyway, uh, Leo comes in and they're like, so you, you check the whole afterlife to make sure that Prue wasn't in it, right? And he's like, yeah, no, that's not something I can do. But she's not dead. Shut up. It's not season three. And 
he says that he talked to his bosses. His bosses talked to their bosses. Uh-huh. He had this weird thing about how, look, I, I was waiting to talk about this because I think it's an interesting idea that the show graphically never follows up on. But he's like, look, the fight against evil takes place on multiple planes, on multiple levels. And there is a mortal level and there's a level beyond a mortal level. There are forces of good that are far more powerful than anything any of us have ever experienced. And there are forces of evil which we can't touch that are so powerful that no spell can vanquish them. Mm -hmm. And the two of them got together to talk and they want you to work with the horsemen of of the apocalypse to recover Prue and their missing guy. The upcoming apocalypse is a thing that needs to happen or not on its own, but all of the players need to be in play. Like, even though it is in our best interest, you do need to talk to them because blah, 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 free will. And most of that's bullshit, like, whatever. I feel like the big up forces of good would be like, eh, whatever, one charmed one for an averted apocalypse is fine. But Well, see, that implies that they want to avert the apocalypse. And... Look, the reason I keep going to this well is because it hits a lot of the same themes, but you all should read slash watch that instead. (laughs) Um, Honestly, the Amazon series was really good, and the book is amazing. Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett, what else could you GNU Terry Pratchett? So, the... It's like the Discworld version of Rest in Peace. Uh. Um, So... The idea that good wants not to avert the apocalypse, but to have the war happen and win it. And maybe it's in humanity's best interest to work with neither the source of all evil or the powers that be. Maybe neither of those forces care about humans at all, and humans should be their own peace. Like, that is a story that gets told. That's the story that's part of the story in good omens actually there's a role-playing game that uh gosh i'm trying it's an indie game and i'm trying to remember the name of it it's like good and evil something very generic like that but that's the plot of that game you're one of the humans who is like oh this all sucks like it's not a new concept and i like it as a story beat leo's point though it, it isn't that the forces of good necessarily want them to bring back the horsemen and cause the apocalypse it's that they want them to be open to that possibility that the forces of evil talk to the forces of good and the forces of, and the forces of good were like, you know what? We'll talk to our people and we'll see if they're open to it because they're really big on free will, which Leo points out is he's like, look, free will needs to be a thing so that people can choose good, but evil likes it because it means that they can also choose evil and like, but for for free will to be a thing, you need to be open to maybe doing a bad thing here. My uh, my big takeaway that I like from this that never gets revisited really uh-huh. is the idea that the battle between good and evil is working on a bunch of higher planes and that there are demons, there are forces of evil that are beyond the charmed ones. Oh, yeah. Which I think was initially the idea behind the source, that the source is this ethereal thing that exists beyond them that can never really be defeated except by phoebe's vagina god 
I mean, but I mean, before before that, even no, but even before that, I mean, I guess the spirit or whatever of the source of all evil survived by going into coal or whatever. But like, they take out the source pretty easily, even later. Like, I, I guess they had to defeat Cole in that alternate reality where he was just the source and he didn't exist on that, you know, hell plane where all demons go, where he ate all of those demons to become a super demon. Okay, we are really getting ahead of ourselves here. Okay, but, like, I like the idea that there are forces that are beyond the Charmed Ones. That, yeah. That there is a hierarchy, and while they are higher than a lot of things on the hierarchy... There's always a bigger fish. No, I'm with you. I like the idea that Earth is just a small piece of a bigger game. Yeah. And that potentially the forces of good would be okay sacrificing a smaller piece. That's, yeah. Which, given what we see of, you know, the elders later. I mean, they're sacrifice happy. So... They go to a neutral space, a park, you know, to talk about how they're going to get, respectively, their dude and their sister back. And I, I really like the effect when Strife, who I guess is the main guy now that War's not around anymore. Mm-hmm. Strife's like, look, this isn't an ideal situation for anyone, but if we want our people back, we need to work together. He holds out his hand... Piper takes it, and there's this, like, quick inversion flash, and I really like it. It's a super cheap effect, but I really like it. And yes. It, it's it's played not subtly, but, like, clearly something has happened. Mm-hmm. And actually, we see the underclouds gathering. Like, it's ominous as fuck. Mm. Then we go back to the manor. The Charmed Ones have brought the three remaining horsemen of the apocalypse to the manor. To the sunroom, specifically. I like how Phoebe's clearing off space on the table, and she she picks up a plant, and the three of them are like, Ugh! And she's like, it's a regular plant, not a witch plant, and I'm just moving it so that we can sit at this table. And then Strife, like, reaches into his, his jacket, and they're like, ah! And he's like, I'm just taking notes. That's what Strife does. Strife takes notes. Which, I, so I guess Strife takes notes. It feels like Strife is... It feels like they're doing a group project and Strife is really the one who's carrying the team. <laughs> it's true! Even when War was around, it felt like Strife was kind of the guy who was doing all of the stuff. Yeah, Strife was definitely doing the work. So now Leo's giving Piper a hard time about bringing the horseman back because that's his role in this episode. And she's like, well, we weren't going to go to their place. Yeah, she points out that the house is the source of their power and honestly, I wish they played with this more in the show, but that it's their stronghold and that, you know, if something bad would happen, the ho- the house would, you know, protect them, which mm-hmm. I feel like should happen, but almost never does. The house does have protections, but we I feel like we only ever see it when they get turned against the Charmed Ones. Right? So they're talking about exactly what it was that happened when Prue and War got vanquished, and they realize that... They were standing in such a way that they formed a pentagram with Prue and War at the center. A pentagram which is the symbol of Wicca but then has been appropriated by evil. And uh, that's clearly what went wrong. Yes. By... By the Charmed Ones and the Horsemen of the Apocalypse 
forming a symbol that has been used for both good and evil and casting two vanquishing spells they created a something something reality bubble that shifted Prue and War onto a different plane. Like putting too much air into a balloon. And then something bad <laughs> happens. Yeah, so that's that's what they have to do. They have to do the backwards of that. So Leo is like, "Hey, hey, Piper, come over here." I'm going to break into their headquarters and see what they, you know, what they're really doing. And Piper's like, okay. And then Leo orbs out and one of the horsemen, um, gosh, what would he be? Would he be uh, famine? I guess the weedy one. Yes. Famine. Famine's like, where'd he go? What's his deal? What, what, what was that guy? And Piper's like, seriously? You don't know White Lighters, seriously? I mean, nothing. He's nobody. Don't worry about it. Hey, it's their first day! God. But, I mean, they were demons before they were the horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Do demons not know about White Lighters? Because... I don't know. Okay, but I'm gonna get... I'm gonna get AO3 here for a second. Mm -hmm. There's, like, a moment where Phoebe and Strife kind of connect because... Phoebe's kind of the one who writes spells, and it turns out Strife is kind of the one who knows the way the demon spells work, as we just discussed. They're, like, both the ones who do the homework for the rest of the group. I just, uh, there's, there's a moment there. I honestly wish they'd played with that more. It feels like a lot of this episode is farting around. It really is. Although they are establishing... I You know what? I was gonna say they're establishing. I think maybe they've established this before, but Phoebe's got a thing for demons. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So, Leo orbs into evil territory, and I love how he's wearing his schlubby good guy clothes. He encounters evil Gunther from Central Perk, punches him in the face, and steals his clothes. And Death kind of, like, hears that and looks over, but they've already turned the corner, so he's like, eh, it's probably nothing. I mean, I would <laughs> imagine in a demon organization there's a lot of fisticuffs and or you know vanquishing of co-workers fair fair so uh speaking of co-workers phoebe and strife are on the couch together talking about making spells and yeah he talks about how the uh vanquishing spell he used on you know them was the you know bog standard witch vanquishing spell even though she's clearly no bog standard witch and like he asks if she's ever been evil before and she's like no i've always been a good witch and he's like really because something about you seems like maybe you used to be a demon and she's like look I you're drawn to the darkness death is your gift god and again, there's a lot of stuff I like about this episode, and one of the running themes I like, which I know accumulates with the unfortunate Phoebe as the Queen of Hell plot, but I like that there's a lot of groundwork being laid for Phoebe's turn to evil. Mm. It's been mentioned that, you know, she was born over the Nexus, which is a power that is neither good nor evil. She's more susceptible to possession. Her past life went bad. There's been a lot of hints that Phoebe has an inner darkness that she may have to confront at one point. And I feel like this is just another uh, brick in that wall, which 
Okay, I'm just going to throw this out here. Um, this show did a real disservice when it walked back Phoebe being the queen of hell. Like, Phoebe as the queen of hell is my... Phoebe slash Cole. Like, that's my favorite storyline in this whole show. And the way it ends is... The fact that they felt the need that they had to be like, oh no, she was under mind control the whole time. Bullshit. Which she wasn't. We She accepted becoming the queen of hell... We were there, charmed. Don't don't try to don't try to play it off. Also, remember, speaking of groundwork, that her previous life was like out and out evil. Yeah, like it's an interesting story, and you know what? I'm gonna enjoy the ride now, even though I know how it ends. Yes. So Leo stole Buff Gunther's clothes, and now he's wandering around just like a demon intern. You know, to gather information, he's like, oh my god, they're the horsemen of the apocalypse, which, did they not know that already, it seemed? Okay, okay, so, the horsemen know that they're the horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Yes. Why do they have headshots on the wall that are specifically labeled strife, war, oh, you know what, I take it all back, I take back my complaint, because... Those headshots were probably there to honor them when they got promoted from interns to war, strife, pestilence. Okay. They're their okay. corporate headshots. Yeah, yeah. And also their corporate branding because they have the horsemen tattoos on their necks. Branding like double meaning. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, the horseman tattoo is the Omega, by the way. Mm-hmm. Which I mostly associate with athletic wear but yeah. and frats, but... Uh, as, Leo, as soon as Leo sees the uh, horseman tattoo on death, Piper sees it on... Uh, famine. On famine, and she's like, some ink you got there. And he's like, shut up. And she's like, you shut up. Okay, I like this. They've paired Phoebe up with Strife, and now they have Piper in the kitchen cooking with famine standing over her while the two of them argue. Like... She's cooking while grilling famine. Okay. I'm just, I, I, I was just respecting what they were, the subtle thing they were doing here. Yes. But she, uh, she presses him for information because they've been very conspicuously avoiding using names. And he's like, we're just trying to get our friend back. And she's like, hmm, neat. Look at this thing I'm mashing. This isn't emasculating you somehow, is it? <laughs> this isn't making you think of me crushing your testicles, is it? Um, water and pestle. Meanwhile, Strife is still hitting on Phoebe in the other room. He's like, yeah. Have you on. ever thought about going evil? You seem like you... Do you, once, have a, do you have a little evil in you? Do you want to have a little evil in you? Once you go villain, nothing else is as fulfilling. <laughs> God. So... He also talks about how, look, we are reliant on each other. As good and evil need each other, there's a balance in the world, and without it, things will fall apart. And Phoebe's like, no, we're trying to undo each other. You want the world overrun by evil. I want the world to be good and happy. And he's like, that's not how it works, though. Like, people need both. You can't just have one or the other. She's like, boy, I hope this doesn't get recycled into a really, really terrible season finale a couple seasons from now. Oh, man. So Ectoplasmic Prue shows up and is like, um... I, I love how Blob Prue, like, 
taps Phoebe spiritually on the shoulder and then just kind of awkwardly hovers behind, uh... Behind Strife. Yeah, it goes over to the spirit board. And it goes four and then H. Uh, <laughs> H-O for ho? But then... Hey, hey, who are you calling a ho? God. But then the evil blob comes and tackles the good blob and knocks the uh, thing off. The pointer? The pointer off the spirit board. And Strife's like, what the fuck was that? Look, okay, Prue, at this point, we are... We are three quarters of the way through this episode. If they haven't figured out that these guys are the four horsemen, that information is not going to help them. So, (laughs) Phoebe and Strife, it doesn't matter, whatever. They came up with the solution to get Prue and War back. They're going to stand in opposite positions and then say the spells backwards (laughs) to reverse the polarity of magic. I'm so glad that we had the whole brain trust working on that. (laughs) So they say that they need to do this at 6.30 sharp because they have a thing at 7. Hmm. Hmm. So they book it out of there and Piper's like, so what actually happened there? And Phoebe's like, Prue was trying to tell me something on the spirit board. For ho? And Piper's like, maybe four hours? Maybe four hours is all she has left? And... We cut right from that, by the way, to that ticking clock again. God. Letting us know that we actually only have 49 minutes left. Dun, dun, dun. So I really feel like Leo got all the information he needs. He doesn't need to keep hanging around here. And yet here he is, hanging around Hell Central. He just now sees the four horsemen. By the way, the board is like... You know what? I've worked in a corporate world that had things similar to this, so I shouldn't be saying this. It has, like, the number of people that they've killed, the the goal number for them to kill, like, how many more they need to kill this quarter. You know, the more I talk about this, the more this sounds actually like the spreadsheets we get at the end of every quarter showing us whether or not we hit our goals, so never mind. But Leo's like, oh, oh, the four horsemen. God, dude. So... I, I like how evil Gunther has woken up and he's like, guys, guys, he's not me. He's someone else. You can tell by the fact that we have different faces. <laughs> and Leo's like, oh, bye. And he just orbs out of the middle of the evil office. He orbs back into the manor and he's all schlubby. His like ties all askew. I think he's supposed to look sexy and tousled, but he just looks schlubby. Well, I, I've been paying a lot of attention to his hair because he's got kind of a frosted tips thing going on. He does. What's going on there? Because he's good. It's Brian like Krause, having a, what are you doing? It's like having a halo of blondness. So, um, I was, I, I, I'm sure I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but the frosted tips are really making me think of it. Okay. I watched some convention appearances with the cast of Charmed, and there was one with Holly Marie Combs and Brian Krause, and one of the questions somebody asked was, was there anything you ever took home from the set? Yeah, I mentioned this, yeah. Holly Marie Combs points at Brian Krause and says, uh, he brought home all the extras. <laughs> and I don't know, the frosted tips just feels like the, uh, the guy trying to pick up extras on the set. Like, I, 
they are inextricably linked for me. Hmm. So Leo tells them that it that they are in fact dealing with the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which there are seven minutes left in this episode. They should not be discovering that at this point in the episode. This should this should be like a end of act one maybe right like at the end of act one we were told that they were the four horsemen why did it take the charmed one so long to catch up so he tells them that the apocalypse is going to happen very soon and they're like oh do you think that's the thing they have to do at seven also phoebe and piper don't believe him that it's the apocalypse because why why would you not believe him I I don't know. I do like, though, that he that Phoebe talks about how they all thought the world was going to end on December 31st, 1999, and it didn't. Because big round numbers are scary. <laughs> Leo says that all calendars are wrong and that tonight is actually the real millennium. Oh, my God. I mean, he's not wrong, but also, dude... All the calendars are wrong. Uh, uh. So, also, that's all that's all man-made. Like, the idea that the universal good and evil would be tied to that kind of man-made thing is as ridiculous as saying that a blue moon, which is just based on the way we've organized the months in the calendar, would have any effect on the witch's powers. Stay tuned for that. PMS werewolves. I'm sorry, PMS werewolves. I was going to say, it sounded like you said penis werewolves, so you should probably <laughs> clarify that. Yeah, Did PMS we... werewolves. Yeah, we never got we never got penis werewolves. Honestly, I don't think we ever got straight werewolves in this show. We had Wendigo. We had Wendigo, which was basically their werewolf story, and then we got the PMS werewolves later. <laughs> oh, this uh, show. So, yeah, the, if, if they call back... If they get back Prue and the horsemen, then the apocalypse will happen. And they're like, oh, so you're saying we could sacrifice a sister and save the world. Oh, I, damn. I also, Leo has a really, really good point here, which they ignore, because Leo's like, the horsemen of the apocalypse are not demons you can vanquish. They've been ascended by the source of all evil. Magic will not work to kill them. The only thing, as was previously established in this episode, the only thing that can destroy them is the source of all evil. Like, so you can't stop them. If they get their fourth member back, it will mean the end of the world. And they're like, okay, but we need Prue back to defeat them. And Leo's like, what did I just say? Can, can people not hear me talking? Am I, am I even in this room? So, with two minutes left until the apocalypse, the three remaining horsemen are freaking out that the Charmed Ones stood them up. And then the Charmed Ones show up, which, like, why show up at all? Seriously. But they show up just to say that they're not going to help them. And... No, they show up to say that they are going to help them until Phoebe shakes... The horseman's hand and sees the future because she's like we made a promise and good people stick to their promises even if it means killing every single person on earth and then i'm assuming the elders send her this vision because she shakes it i mean it might maybe not maybe not maybe the elders don't care 
But she shakes <laughs> she shakes Strife's hand and has a premonition of every single person on Earth dying in a blast of atomic fire. And she's like, oh, no, that would be bad. Yeah, so they're like, okay, well, we're just not going to chant now. And Death's like, your sister's going to die if you don't chant. And they're like, yeah, we understand the trolley problem. Also, we've only been talking about it all goddamn episode. Also, also, Prue would probably die when you guys blew up the Earth. Right? (laughs) Like, as of right now, she's just stuck on another plane. It's not like she's dead or anything. She's just stuck on another plane. Yeah, at least if we don't bring her back now, there will be a back to try to bring her to. Yeah. So we're just not going to do anything. We're not going to cast the spell. Suck it, losers. And then the source is like, the source opens up a portal and he shoots evil energy out of it to kill the three horsemen for literally no reason. Okay, wait, it's not literally no reason. First of all, since the vortex is open... Phoebe and Piper are like, oh, well, let's chant our part of the spell and get Prue out of there and run. And then War pops out, too, just in time to get, you know, blasted by the source of all evil because their selfless act is what proved to the source that humanity was not ready for the apocalypse yet. There was still some good in them. (laughs) By letting Shannon Doherty die, he knew that humanity still had some good left. Still had too much good to end things. Because I guess humanity was slightly on the more evil side, so he decided to wipe everyone out, but this one act... Well, like, it has... Humanity has to be on the more evil side for the apocalypse to go his way when he manifests it. Okay, but, like, you could have just not killed your own guys for no reason. Also, I feel like it shouldn't count because the Charmed Ones immediately try to weasel out of it as soon as they... As soon as, you know, the portal opens so that all of the source lightning can kill you know the horsemen they immediately are like oh let's use this opportunity to get prue out which also i feel like shouldn't have worked because it's not like the guys were reciting their version of the spell i mean this is a real once upon a time thing right where they make a sacrifice without actually having to make a sacrifice also i think that he had to kill the horsemen because I, i don't think they're good for that long i think they like milk like they're only good for like a week and a half, so they're not going to be around for the next apocalypse. He's going to have to appoint new frat bros. I'm just saying, I feel like he would be more successful if he wasn't constantly blowing up his own people. I mean, that's that's a fact. So we end up back at P3, where the sisters are sitting around processing what happened, and then the bartender comes up and is like, all right, everyone has to ask this question. Who would you kill? Five strangers or each other? And they're all like, each, each other. other. What? <laughs> like, from the bartender's point of view, I'd be like, you bitches are cold. You are some <laughs> cold bitches. <laughs> That's the end of the episode. The end. The end. Ugh. We were on such a good run of episodes. and Don't worry. Next time is the French Stewart Genie episode. In fact... Let me, let me read the Google Play description of that episode. It's called, Careful What You... Which For? Which For? Wah, wah. And the description is, A genie, employed by a dragon warlock to steal the Hallowell's powers, offers to grant each sister one wish for whatever they most desire. 
But when they refuse, the genie tricks them into wishing, resulting in an uncontrollable power for Phoebe, Prue's death, and the rapid aging of Dan! <laughs> uh, who finally learns Piper's secret. Also, Prue's wish makes her a teenager again. I mean, she does die at some point, but like... Spoilers episode description. <laughs> Remember before when I was like, I think this is the last we see of Neighbor Dan, and then he just like never went away. I think this is the last we see of Neighbor Dan. Also, this episode introduces the triad. You know oh. who the triad are? What, what, what? Who are the triad? They are the guys who hire Cole. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, oh, that, that's where you're going. Also, they show up like in the... I think second to last season to be like the new big bads or in the last season, maybe I think it's the last season. They're like, let's bring back the effing triad. <laughs> yeah. It's weird how they make the triad into a big deal later. When Cole basically offhandedly kills them when he decides that he wants to bone Phoebe for good. <laughs> for good meaning like for goodness, not for forever. Yeah. Thank Just goodness. clarify. Yeah. All right, so... I want to be good now, which means murdering the right people. Or the wrong people. Which are the right people. Yes. But wrong. God, yeah, this episode was a slog. Ugh. I believe that uh, it is time to dip into our own power of three. Uh, Let's open with premonitions. Who is, was, or will become famous at some point later... I feel like we talked about a lot of them. My big one, for example, was Brian Thompson. Well, I just want to mention that Brian Thompson did play War. Uh, Jeff Ricketts played Famine, and Patrick Kilpatrick played Death. Uh, it's a fun name. So all three of these men, Patrick, <laughs> Jeff, and Brian, were all also demons on Buffy. Just, you know, for fun. Anyone I know other than, uh... Uh, no. Like, no one was, like, Clem or anything. No, I don't think so. Let me... Or Gacknar. Wait, was Gacknar the one who actual size? Uh... Yes. Uh, let's see. Weatherby... Uh, Famine was... You wouldn't know him from his Buffy demon, which was Weatherby, but he was one of the two-by-two hands of blue guys on Firefly. Uh... Yeah, because... Yeah, evil corporate guy. That works. Yeah. And uh, Patrick Kilpatrick. So, uh, you know, I said Buffy, but actually he was an angel. Uh. He was Magnus in Guys Will Be Guys. The one who, the the rich guy who tries to hire Angel and gets uh, Wesley instead by mistake. Okay. And, but the final... Strife. Strife is played by Jeffrey Blake, who was never in the Angel Buffyverse, mm-hmm. but will come back for the Charmed reboot. Weird. Right? Real weird. So, yeah. Just say these guys know their way around an evil demon character. I'm really surprised they didn't bring back uh, Doran Gregory for the uh, Charmed reboot. That would have been cool. I bet he didn't want to come back. I feel like he would have... You feel like he was done with Charmed? I, I feel like he would have come back if... Uh, I feel like they would have wanted him back if he had wanted to come back. Mm. Yeah. All right. I believe that will bring us to our second power in our pack, Time Freeze. What specifically dated this episode for you? Prue's pants? <laughs> or Phoebe's pants? Whoever was wearing the, like, cutoffs that had 
leggings sewn into them. That's what Phoebe was wearing. Prue was wearing a choker, which mm. is very 90s. But I think the thing that dates this episode the most is talking about the millennium and then having that annoying boyfriend come in and be like, um, actually, 1999 isn't the end of the millennium. Like, is there anything more 1999 than that? Point. All right, I believe that will bring us to our final segment. Telekinesis, what, if anything, genuinely moved you this episode? Okay, I mean, this isn't what we usually use by move, Mm -hmm. but I moved to write a fan fiction about Phoebe and Strife. Okay, mine is also in line with that, in that I wouldn't say by any stretch of the imagination moved me. God, I wish I had focused on the... I wish that they had focused on the interplay between the two of them. I wish they hadn't taken as much time to set up the premise. So more of the episode was about... Because the best parts of the episode are when the witches and the horsemen are working together. And the awkwardness and just them feeling each other out. That was the strongest part of the episode. And and that was seven minutes of a 45-minute episode. Yeah. But I do like... And it's not. it didn't move me. But I do like that they're continuing to hammer in that Phoebe has this dark part of her, that mm. that demons can sense that there is this darkness in her and that she will eventually have to come to terms with it. Like, I like that that has been a running thing. I like that it keeps getting acknowledged. And I, I like that it got brought up here. Yeah, I definitely see that. So I guess that does it for us for this week. You didn't have our secret fourth power. Nothing made you want to physically leave your body. Not the little blob tag. No, I mean, some things made me angry, like Leo and the way he was treating the sisters. I mean, I was on Leo's side because they were not listening to him at any point. I mean, it's weird because he was right, but it wasn't on his side. And and some things made me roll my eyes, like the terrible CGI of the Prue blob. And some things made me go, that's not continuity, like the way the sisters were behaving with each other. But nothing made me need to physically leave my body. Hmm. So I guess that'll about do it then. Yeah, I guess that'll do it. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maricruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, Kate, and Jen. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Hallowell Manor. Mm-hmm.